0: Hello again. Sorry I'm a little late today, but I'm going to read to you chapter five. His eyes snapped open, hammered open, and there were these things about himself that he knew instantly. He was unbelievably thirsty. His mouth was dry and tasted foul and sticky. His lips were cracked and felt as if they were bleeding. And if he did not drink some water soon, he felt that he would wither up and die. Lots of water, all the water he could find. He knew the thirst and felt the burn on his face. It was mid-afternoon and the sun had come over him and cooked him while he slept and his face was on fire, would blister, would peel, which did not help the thirst, made it much worse. He stood using the tree to pull himself up because there was still some pain and much stiffness and looked down at the lake. It was water, but he did not know if he could drink it. Nobody had ever told him if he could or could not drink lakes. There was also the thought of the pilot, down in the blue, with the plane strapped in the body. Awful, he thought. But the lake was blue and wet-looking, and his mouth and throat raged with the thirst, and he did not know where there might be another form of water he could drink. Besides, he had probably swallowed a ton of it while he was swimming out of the plane and getting to shore. In the movies, they always showed the hero finding a clear spring with pure sweet water to drink. But in the movies, they didn't have plane wrecks and swollen foreheads and aching bodies and thirst that tore at the hero, until he couldn't think. Brian took small steps down to the bank of the lake. Along the edge, there were thick grasses and the water looked a little murky, and there were small things swimming in the water, small bugs but there was a log extending about 20 feet out into the water of the lake. A beaver drop from some time before, with old limbs sticking up almost like handles. He balanced on the log, holding himself up with the limbs, and teetered out past the weeds and murky water. When he was out where the water was clear, and he could see no bugs swimming, he kneeled on the log to drink. A sip, he thought, still worrying about the lake water. I'll just take a sip. But when he brought a cupped hand to his mouth and felt the cold lake water trickle past his cracked lips and over his tongue, he could not stop. He had never, not even on long bike rides in the hot summer, been this thirsty. It was as if the water were more than water, as if the water had become all of his life and he could not stop. He stooped and put his mouth to the lake and drank and drank and drank, pulling it deep and swallowing great gulps of it. He drank until his stomach was swollen, until he nearly fell off the log with it. Then he rose and staggered, tripped his way back to the bank, where he was immediately sick and threw up most of the water. But his thirst was gone, and the water seemed to reduce the pain in his head as well, although the sunburn still cooked his face. So, he almost jumped with the word spoken aloud, It seemed so out of place, the sound. He tried it again. So, so, so here I am. And there it is, he thought. For the first time since the crash, his mind started to work. His brain triggered and he began thinking. Here I am. And where is that? Where am I? He pulled himself once more up the bank to the tall tree without branches and sat against it. With his back against the rough bark. It was hot now, but the sun was high to his rear, and he sat in the shade of the tree in relative comfort. There were things to sort out. Here I am, and that is nowhere. With his mind opened and thoughts happening, it all tried to come in with a rush. All of what had occurred, he could not take it. The whole thing turned into a confused jumble that made no sense. So he fought it down and Tried to take one thing at a time. He had been flying north to visit his father for a couple of months in the summer, and the pilot had had a heart attack and had died, and the plane had crashed somewhere in the Canadian north woods. But he did not know how far they had flown, or in what direction, or where he was. Slow down, he thought, slow down more. My name is Brian Robson, and I am 13 years old, and I am alone in the north woods of Canada. All right, he thought, that's simple enough. I was flying to visit my father, and the plane crashed and sank in a lake. There, keep it that way, short thoughts. I do not know where I am, which doesn't mean much. More to the point, they do not know where I am. They meaning anybody who might be wanting to look for me, the searchers. They would look for him, look for the plane. His father and mother would be frantic. They would tear the world apart to find him. Brian had seen searches on the news, seen movies about lost planes. When a plane went down, they mounted extensive searches, and almost always they found the plane within a day or two. Pilots all filed flight plans, a detailed plan for where and when they were going to fly with all the courses explained. They would come. They would look for him. The searchers would get government planes and cover both sides of the flight plan filed by the pilot and search until they found them. Maybe even today. They might come today. This was the second day after the crash. No, Brian frowned. Was it the first day or the second day? They had gone down in the afternoon and he had spent the whole night out cold. So this was the first real day. But they could still come today. They would have started the search immediately when Brian's plane did not arrive. Yeah, they would probably come today. Probably come in here with amphibious planes, small bush planes with floats that could land right here on the lake and pick him up and take him home. Which home? The father home or the mother home? He stopped the thinking. It didn't matter either on to his dad or back to his mother. Either way, he would probably be home by late night or early morning, home where he could sit down and eat a large, cheesy, juicy burger with tomatoes and double fries with ketchup and a thick chocolate shake. And there came hunger. Brian rubbed his stomach. The hunger had been there, but something else, fear, pain, had held it down. Now, with the thought of the burger, the emptiness wore it inside him. He could not believe the hunger. He had never felt it this way. The lake water had filled his stomach but left it hungry, and now it demanded food, screamed for food, and there was, he thought, absolutely nothing to eat. Nothing. What did they do in the movies when they got stranded like this? Oh, yes, the hero usually found some kind of plant that he knew was good to eat, and that took care of it just ate the plant until he was full or used some kind of cute trap to catch an animal and cook it over a slick little fire, and pretty soon he had a full eight-course meal. The trouble, Brian thought, looking around, was that all he could see was grass and brush. There was nothing obvious to eat, and aside from about a million birds and the beaver, he hadn't seen animals to trap and cook. And even if he got one somehow, he didn't have any matches, so he couldn't have a fire. Nothing. It kept coming back to that. He had nothing. Well, almost nothing. As a matter of fact, he thought, I don't know what I've got or haven't got. Maybe I should try and figure out just how I stand. It will give me something to do. Keep me from thinking of food until they come to find me. Brian had once had an English teacher, a guy named Perpitch, who was always talking about being positive, thinking positive, staying on top of things. That's how he had put it. Stay positive and stay on top of things. Brian thought of him now, wondered how to stay positive and stay on top of things. All his teacher would say is that I have to get motivated. He was always telling kids to get motivated. Brian changed position, so he was sitting on his knees. He reached into his pockets and took out everything he had and laid it on the grass in front of him. It was pitiful enough A quarter, three doms, a nickel and two pennies, a fingernail clipper, a billfold with a $20 bill in case you get stranded at the airport in some small town and have to buy food, his mother had said, and some odd pieces of paper. And on his belt, somehow still there, the hatchet his mother had given him. He had forgotten it and now reached around and took it out and put it in the grass. There was a touch of rust almost forming on the cutting edge of the blade and he rubbed it off with his thumb. That was it, he frowned. No, wait. If he was going to play the game, might as well play it right. His teacher would tell him to quit messing around, get motivated, look at all of it, Robson. He had on a pair of good tennis shoes, now almost dry, and socks and jeans and underwear. And a thin leather belt and a t-shirt with a windbreaker so torn it hung on him in tatters. And a watch. He had a digital watch still on his wrist, but it was broken from the crash. The little screen blank. And he took it off and almost threw it away, but stopped the hand motion and laid the watch on the grass with the rest of it. There. That was it. No, wait. One other thing. Those were all the things he had, but he also had himself. His teacher used to drum that into them. You are your most valuable asset. Don't forget that. You are the best thing you have.